You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it's officially game day, and um, not a whole lot has changed except for one major change, (laughs) or two or three or ten. None of them seem to be in the favor of the Minnesota Vikings. First of all, um, we went over the entire Minnesota Vikings roster for the most part. We didn't go on every single player, but most of the top guys. And looking at their defense, we talked about how they don't have any edge rushers, but they've got a couple good defensive linemen. And the best of the best, um, the best pass rusher and run defender probably, um, although he's never really been a pass rusher, but he is this year, Michael Pierce who's missed a bunch of time, is out again. He has some kind of an illness, and he's not going to play. So the defensive line got even worse than it already was. And um, one of the other negatives about that, not only did you lose talent, and we've experienced this too, it's also a depth issue. It's a high rotation position. You know, a guy like Michael Pierce is not going to be out there a massive amount of snaps snaps because he's 340 pounds. The same is true with the rest of these guys, and we've seen that especially with our edge guys. There are times you'd love to see Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith out there, but they also are trying to keep them fresh for the, you know, the fourth quarter, the final push of the game. And so it's, I mean, there are times where it's borderline seems like we're conceding a third down because we just pull everybody, and that drives me nuts, and I don't know that that's necessarily the right decision, but that's sort of the point. If we had uh, Whitney Merciless and Zadarius Smith and uh, whoever else is injured at the position, we would very rarely see that, especially on a critical third down. Maybe they'd put him in on a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a different down. I'm trying to think of a less important one. And it's like, I don't know, man, they're all important. I don't want to concede a first and 10 either. On top of losing Michael Pierce, the Green Bay Packers activated punter Corey Bajorquez, guard Ben Braden, linebacker Oren Burks, tight end Tyler Davis, tight end Mercedes Lewis, and linebacker Ty Summers. Um, all or most of them uh, should be available. doesn't mean they're all going to be playing, but um, depending on how the Packers want to, you know, shuffle their roster for this game, obviously Bajorquez and Mercedes um, are going to be playing. So with all that, um, the official injury report, which again is sometimes different than, um, than the COVID list, right? Those are two different things. The COVID guys don't really show up on here, but because uh, IR doesn't show up on it, which kind of annoys me sometimes because you got to go seek that information out. I wouldn't mind if it was just on the list. I know the list would be long, but just show me the full list. Anyways, Jair Alexander and David Bakhtiari are officially out-out. Billy Turner also out. Tyler Lancaster is questionable, which stinks, but uh, Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Dominique Daphne are playing. So um, 
not a lot of surprise there, other than a lot of us were kind of hopeful that we'd be getting somebody back at this point. I know we got a bunch of people off of COVID, which is uh, thanks to the new uh, protocols, which allow people to come back quicker, but um, still just not getting any of these guys back, which, you know, as I've said, we, we got to really just start viewing the team as it is, is our team. I mean, it has been all year, but I'm just saying we We've been saying all year, man, when we get back to full strength, man, when we get back to full strength, I think it's time to just view this team as full strength. And if we get these guys back, bonus, maybe. And I say that because, again, you know, if we get Jair back in our second playoff game or whatever, I just don't necessarily expect right out of the gate he's just going to be this elite force. Maybe, I don't know. But I'm just, I'm slightly concerned about, especially considering how well everybody's been playing. The corners that we have are not Jair. On a down-to-down, consistent, lockdown basis, they're not Jair at his peak. But they're doing a good job. Yash Nyman is not in any way David Bakhtiari. But nobody's really getting to Rodgers, are they? And it, it just concerns me. David Bakhtiari's had bad days before. And if he's got some kind of real bad lingering issue, I don't want to risk 2022 David Bakhtiari so that we can push him back before he's ready and when he hasn't played all year and he's a little bit a lot a bit rusty etc etc same with Sidarius and and whoever else do I expect some of these guys back sometime sure yeah but I just don't have that same kind of man when they come back we're going to be a force because there was always expected in my mind to be some kind of a buffer they're going to come back they're going to be rusty you know I'm thinking like week I don't know seven (laughs) this has been a long time that they've been supposedly coming back and, you know, week 8, 9, 10, whatever, whatever that th- two, three-week buffer is before they kind of get back into the groove. But, man, by the end of the season, by the playoffs, they're going to be ready to rock and roll. Season's already basically done. They're not playing in the Viking game. I would be stunned if we win this game, especially if Dallas loses, which I don't expect them to. Dallas is playing really well. Arizona's playing like garbage. I just, I'm not saying we're going to rest all our starters. I don't know how Matt LaFleur is going to handle that. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But I don't see any reason to rush Bakhtiari and Jair and Billy Turner back for that game. Maybe offensive linemen, just because if you're going to play Rodgers, you want to protect them. But that's about as much as I can possibly see. And I still doubt it. But anyways, from the Minnesota Vikings side of things, um, pretty much everybody's going to be playing with the exception of Michael Pierce. The one doubtful player is Cam Dantzler. So um, I don't know. From my experience... Doubtful basically just means out. I don't know too many times when I've seen Doubtful become playing. Sure, it's happened before, but um, this is an injury that just cropped up Thursday. It's a calf injury. Yeah, Doubtful Doubtful sounds about right. should also add that um, in the mix of all this, and there's a couple other moves that don't really matter all that much, but there are two people that were elevated to the active roster that may see a little bit of playing time. So Abdullah Anderson, the uh, defensive lineman, we've seen him a couple times now. Presumably he's in in place of Mr. Kingsley Kiki, who's out, but also Mr. David Moore. David Moore was a seventh round pick by the Seattle Seahawks back in 2017. Um, As far as grades and production, it's not as bad as you might expect from a seventh round pick. Didn't really play in 2017, but 2018, 19, and 2020, he graded in the mid-60s. So, you know, I mean, that's about where Lazard grades (laughs) in MVS. or Actually, it's probably a little higher than MVS. Not saying he's going to be great. I'm just saying, you know, it's I would have expected work. 
Um, he actually has had touchdowns in all three seasons. So he had uh, 26 receptions for 445 yards and five touchdowns in 2018. 2019, 19 receptions, 358 yards, two touchdowns. 2020, 36 receptions, 418 yards, and six touchdowns. Again, not that terrible. The main reason why it's somewhat interesting, though, is there's a thought possibly with Amari Rogers out that this may be our answer at uh, punt slash kick return. Um, he does have some experience with that. He, uh, especially 2019 and 2020, he was doing a lot of kick returns for Seattle. Um, kick return and punt return. That's kind of when he started doing that. He did one in 2018, but whatever. Overall, he's done five kick returns in his career, mostly a punt returner, and he averages 13 yards per attempt. His longest ever was 21 yards, so he's really quite bad at that. As a punt returner, is he any, any better at that? 24 returns, 201 yards, uh, 27 of them were fair caught, 20 was his longest, 8.4 yards per attempt, and two muffed punts. That's pretty bad. Um, his three In three years, his grades as a kick returner, 59, 52, 55. His two years as a punt returner, 50 and 54. So maybe he is our best option. I'm not saying he's not our best option, but he's not a good option. I know that. So for anybody that saw that news that we're activating David Moore and he may be taking over some special teams responsibilities, which I would assume, if anything, it would be punt returns. And the question is, can this guy be really good? Because that's always the thing. Like, maybe this guy is a freak. Who knows? Um, No, he's not. Anyways, with all this movement and all the injuries and everything else, just to show you how drastic it is in the Packers' favor, um, as of, let's see, at the best for the Vikings, this is December 27th, as well as, uh, what's the date? December 30th. These are the high points for the Vikings, for whatever reason. Somebody on the Packers caught COVID, whatever, whatever. The um, Packers were, at worst, six-and-a-half-point favorites, right? It kind of fluctuated between that and about seven. So seven and and six-and-a-half, it kind of sat between those two. As of right now, 13-point favorites. I don't know why that feels crazy to me. It must just be because it's the Vikings, because we just lost to the Vikings, because the Vikings are always a tough opponent. I don't really know, but that's a crazy... I mean, that that's basically what I expect it to be next week against the Lions. And maybe it'll be more than that. I don't know. It shouldn't be, and I'd be happily probably picking the Packers next. I don't even know if it will be, because I have a feeling they're going to account for you know how much the Packers actually... I don't know. Whatever. It's It's a massive number. This has only happened since 2010, 12 times that the Packers have been 13-point favorites or higher. Since Matt LaFleur's got here, this is only the fourth time. Um, we are 3-1 and one in those games. The one loss came in... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Since Matt LaFleur's got here three times, and they're undefeated, obviously. I've told you that stat. I was looking at 2018. That was against Arizona. We don't need to necessarily relive that. But other than that horrible era, I don't know, how in the world were we 13 and a half point favorites against Arizona? I know Arizona was horrible, and that was a big part of the reason Mike McCarthy got fired, but we didn't deserve to be 13, 13 point favorites over anybody. But anyways, outside of that one game in that one horrible year, the Packers are undefeated, going all the way back to 2010. In fact, how far back do we have to go before, um, let's go to 2000 and see how many losses we have. We were not 13-point favorites a lot between 2000 and 2010 because we're sitting at 14, still just that one loss. If we go all the way back to 1990, the only other game was 1997, 
uh, we lost to Indy 38-41, to and that's out of 22 games. And it's not even just a Packers thing. I mean, when you're thir- when Vegas says you're a 13-point favorite, it's because you're a massive favorite. <laughs> in fact, might as well go all the way back. In, since the inception of the Green Bay Packers, at least as far back as we can find on here, which is the oldest would be 1966, um, the Packers are 20 in 24 games, they're 22 and two with those only two games being again, 2018, which no idea how we were big favorites in that game and 1997. So this would be historic if, uh, I mean, literally historic if the Packers lose this game, if you go back to 2015 and just look at any team that has a 13 point or higher spread. Um, the record in the NFL is 65 and 11. Only one was this year, and that was when Arizona lost to the Detroit Lions. And just think how many massive upsets there have been this year. The Buffalo Bills lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're not on this list. Oh, I lied. There they are. <laughs> that was 14 and a half. Anyways, there's been a bunch of upsets this year. Only two of them met that criteria. And that's that's how that's how big this is. Arizona at Detroit was 13 points. Again, possible we lose, but that's that's how, even though I'm looking at this going, yeah, this is definitely massively in the Packers' favor, it still doesn't feel like Arizona-Detroit massive. It doesn't feel like Buffalo-Jacksonville massive, but it is. That's how one-sided this game really is. Doesn't mean we're 100% going to win, but that's just some visualization of where the Vikings are at right now. And that includes playoffs, by the way. I, I have that included in there, although probably don't find that much in the playoffs. But um, that's 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 all of it. That's all-encompassing. So um, the, the obvious major factor here is, is going to be the weather. Um, that kind of sets everything to zero. Um, I forget who it was, but somebody had mentioned, you know, when, when you're dealing with this level of cold, you kind of, I don't want to say lose home field advantage because there's still the, the the stands and everything else. But I mean, this has a very negative effect on your body either way. And it has a negative, it's sort of like in Buffalo when they had the extreme wind. I mean, wind and weather and elements are somewhat to your favor because you're somewhat used to how to play in that, right? Aaron Rodgers has talked about how he knows how to grip the ball and all these kinds of things are different. But now we're just dealing with weather that's just attacking you and it's just hurting you. And it's going to be negatively impacting you. And so it does look like it's a little warmer than expected. It's supposed to be by 7 o'clock. It's 9 degrees. Um, wind at about 6 miles an hour, which wind is the worst part. So it's a good thing that it's not massively super windy. Um, feels like about 4 degrees is what it's supposed to feel like at 7. The real feel, as in you know, what it feels like gets down to at 10 o'clock about one degree. It was supposed to be like negative four-ish, I think. And again, right now it's sitting at nine by 10, it'll be five degrees. That's either way, it's really bad. And even, you know, you say, well, the, the Packers live in those elements, so they're used to it. First of all, the Vikings live in Minnesota and they don't live in the stadium. So it's not like, well, the Packers are used to outdoor elements and the Vikings aren't. No, they don't live in the stadium. They all have to go outside in the freezing cold. Minnesota Vikings players go outside in even slightly colder weather, although it's basically about the same weather. And neither of them are necessarily used to this weather because it hasn't been this cold hardly at all this year. It's not like the Miami Dolphins are coming up from 70 degree weather or whatever it is down in Miami. Yeah, it's 77. That's, I mean, that's just a complete shock to the body. 
dude, I want to go to, who wants to go to Miami? Can, can we just go? Come on, let's just go to Miami, dude. Are you kidding me? It's 78 degrees now. Now it's 78 degrees. It's going to be in the 80s. It's going to be in the 80s. I want to feel 80. It's going to be so uncomfortable because I'm not used to that anymore. But I want to be uncomfortably hot. I want to have to crank the air conditioning because I can't handle it. Ugh, I miss it. Anyways, stupid Wisconsin. Why do we? Why do I live here? Probably the alligators and anacondas and um, stuff. By the way, just learned there are crocodiles in Florida. Had no idea. Freaking crocodiles in like southern Florida. Sharks, you know? Got all the deadly spiders. Widows and the recluses and whatever. And it's not even like we're getting away. Like, well, yeah, but we have bears up here. Dude, they got bears down there. I don't know why. I don't know what bears are doing in Florida, but the bears are down there. They just heard, like, hey, this is where all the most dangerous animals are. And they're like, dude, I'm going, I'm traveling. I want to live in Florida. Got all the poisonous snakes. Got, like, wild cats, too. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't get it, man. Anyways, um, anyways, why don't we take a break here? Uh, I think we, we pretty well covered it. Do have to say thank you to Chad Maurer, Maurer, jumping in on the Patreons. And once again, if you'd like to throw some support, it would be greatly appreciated, but, um, Mainly focused on getting Drew's support for his uh, seizure dog. Drew was diagnosed with epilepsy. He's working toward getting a, um, a new seizure service dog. Thanks very much to Anthony and Kyle for jumping in uh, with your support, as well as the two anonymous donors, since I've been uh, mentioning it. Also, thank you to um, the person that reached out about getting him a, uh, a service dog. I cannot find where you messaged me anywhere in the world. But um, I did talk to Drew, and um, I guess that's not going to be an option, but I do appreciate that. But anyways, if you want to help support, I'm going to try to get this up in a few other places, but you can find the GoFundMe on my Twitter, pack underscore daddy. It's pinned to the top. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so a couple things I want to talk about before we look at a few other games. Um... Number one, and I'm going to try not to spend a lot of time on it, but there's around this time, there's always a lot of talk about college players and whether or not they should go to these bowl games or just say I'm opting out. 
And it's not anything that's ever going to get resolved. Everybody that has their opinion is going to stay in their opinion. My position is this is purely a cost-benefit. It's purely a cost-benefit. Matt Corral is probably, there's at least a good chance that he will be the number one pick as far as quarterback. Maybe he's the number two, but he'll probably go in the first round as a quarterback, making a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And so if you have dedicated your entire life and worked hard and sacrificed to be the absolute best of the best, there's only one top quarterback in the world that's in a matter of months, I mean just a few months, it's January. We're talking February, March, what, April? I think they pushed everything back. I don't know when the draft is, though. Yeah, it's still about the same time, April 29th to May 1st. So call it four months. In four months, this guy's going to have millions of dollars hit his bank account. Millions. That is what this is all about. To say that that's not what this is all about in some weird purist thing about, no, it's about the love of the game. Why do you think it's about the love of the game? That doesn't mean you don't love the I'm not saying you can't love the game. I'm saying you can love the game and not be an idiot and jeopardize your entire career, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take 10 years of your life, stash away tens of millions of dollars, retire at the age of 36, and do whatever you want. That is the the most unbelievably, ridiculously rare opportunity that you're going to find. And again, you are the one that has worked and sacrificed to get to this point. Talking about guys like Matt Corral, who is a quarterback for Ole Miss, one of the top quarterback prospects who just the day before that game, there's some guy on TV talking about guys who, you know, they're not playing these games because they just don't love the game anymore. Matt Corral does decide to play the game, plays for his team, plays for whatever. And again, you make whatever decision you want. I'm just saying there's only one right decision in my mind, and that's to skip it. If that has become a culturally acceptable thing to do, to say, I'm going to focus on my future, God forbid, because you should, apparently you should sacrifice your life for others. I'm sorry, no. This isn't World War II. And he didn't just give up, uh, potentially damage his career to save the freedoms of all Americans everywhere. He did it to help Ole Miss win a game. Whoop-de-doo. He's been doing that for years. And it's not just that he may get drafted a little bit later and lose a couple million dollars, which, you know, let's pretend that doesn't matter. So for example, if let's say Matt Corral was going to get picked 10th by Atlanta, let's say he falls that far, and all these desperate for quarterback teams just say, nah, forget it. And Atlanta takes him at 10. The total value of that contract is $22.591 million. Call it $22.6 million. The guy's set for life. And granted, he's going to be set for life either way, probably. But let's say he falls because of this injury out of the first round. Let's say it's a pretty serious injury that could have long-term implications. We're down to, what, 10 million bucks? Now, if you're smart, you can live on $10 million. And maybe he's going to be really good, and maybe he's going to go on to make much more money than that. But maybe he's not. The point is, is anybody else that's got a big mouth about what he's supposed to do going to pick up the tab for Matt Corral if his career gets ruined? What if it was career-ending? What if it was such a serious... What if it was an Alex Smith type of injury and he doesn't get to play now? What does that mean for Matt Corral? What does he get for his sacrifice? Does he get anything? Does anybody do anything for him? Other than just applauding him for somehow caring about football, which doesn't make sense because everybody that doesn't play in those bowl games loves football. Well, not all of them. That's true. And some people that stay for the bowl game don't love football. They don't do it for the love of the game. They do it because they want to try to get a spot in the NFL because all they care about is the money and they don't actually care about football. Point is, it's not indicative of how much you love the game. You can love the game and still make a wise decision to opt out to make sure, hey, I made it this far. 
You know what I mean? I've been I've been doubling down and doubling down, and I, I just don't want to push my luck anymore. If you're saying it's culturally acceptable to walk away, I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to risk my career and millions of dollars, potentially tens of millions of dollars, because a bunch of guys on this team who are not going to be there to pick up the tab, not going to be there to pick up the pieces, they're either going on to the NFL themselves or are going on to whatever jobs they move on to because they're not going to the NFL, which is the vast majority of that team. Are they going to turn around and support him? No. It was, hey, thanks for coming back for us. I got to go. I got stuff to do. And all the people on TV with all their, their big mouth running around talking about he doesn't care about the game, this, that, and the other. Where are they now? Are they going to support him? Are they going to help him? No. They just move on with their life and go about other stuff. And he's left there by himself. So he's expected to go back and save his team so that they can win a game. But if he gets injured, nobody's going to help him. Nobody's going to be there to pick him up. He's all by himself, isn't he? That's the point. His job is to take care of himself first. And listen, if this, if this wasn't that drastic of a thing, if, if the cost-benefit wasn't looking at a cost of tens of millions of dollars, maybe it'd be worth it. But what is the cost compared to what is the benefit? What is the benefit? How many NFL quarterbacks today can you tell me they played or didn't play in the bowl game? I couldn't tell you one. Because you know what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's, it's only worth talking about around this time. Be, oh, he doesn't love the game. <laughs> and then when your team drafts him and he goes on to win you a Super Bowl, guess how much you care? Nobody cares. You tell me you don't have heart because a guy isn't watching Matt Corral saying, I don't want that to be me? Good for you. That's called baseline wisdom. You made it. You're done. You've got $20 million staring you right in the face. First year, um, the signing bonus for that is going to be about $13.6 million. In his first year, that's the, that's the check he's going to be handed if he goes number 10. If he goes like five overall, his signing bonus, which is the first year. Here you go. Here's your check just for starting out. Never played a snap in your life. $22.4 million. Now the first couple quarterbacks might be somebody not named Matt Corral. And again, if he falls out of the first round, maybe he gets like $5 bucks as a signing bonus. About $10 million in total money. And, and listen, if you want to be, be a wise guy and be like, oh, that's, you can still live on that. It, you just stripped away $10 million from this guy. He lost more money than you'll ever earn. And you got the audacity to say, well, he, you know, he should have played. And it's so, it's so ridiculous. And, and again, if you want to, fine. If I'm advising him, I'm saying, don't you dare. What it, what, okay, again, we'll do pros and cons. Con, you get injured and lose your NFL career forever. And you go to the hospital. And hopefully Ole Miss will help pay for that. And hopefully you can get a couple endorsement deals so that you can get a little bit of money while people still remember you. And then you might need to start looking at, uh, at, at working when you get out of the hospital at some kind of used car lot. So that's, that's the downside. Let's talk about the upside. What is it? Well, it shows you have heart. Cool. Okay. What does that get you in life? Again, nobody's going to remember. In 10 years, you go in for a job interview for a job hopefully making like $35 an hour. And they say, what are your qualifications? Like, well, I didn't give up in the bowl game because I love my team, so I'll be a great team player. Cool. That's great. Yeah, sure. So here, you, you're hired. Here's $35. Yay, you did it. You made it, man. If I knew Matt and he asked me, what do you think I should do? I'd say, dude, forget them. I'm sorry. Go stand on the sideline. Wish him the best of luck. Help him in any way you can. And anybody on that team that looks you in the face and says you're less than, or I think less of you because you're not out here risking your life, to help us win some game that nobody's going to care about in 30 seconds after it's over? I, I, would, I would love to ask next year at this time how many people remember what bowl game Ole Miss played in last year. I don't even know now because I didn't even watch it. I would bet most people don't know what bowl game it was. 
So no, I don't care. And I don't think teams, you know, I think you're going to have some old school guys on teams that are looking at it saying, you know, they have that same mentality. You say, well, maybe they'll fall in the draft because they didn't play. I doubt it. You might fall a little bit if it's if it's literally right at 50-50, and that'll be the deciding factor. But if it's if it's even 45-55 in Matt Corral's favor, they're taking Matt Corral. You're not going to take the lesser quarterback, even to a minor degree, because, well, he didn't play. Yeah, he didn't play because he wants to play for you. That's the whole point of this. The whole point is that he wants to give himself to the NFL. He doesn't want to risk losing the ability to play for you. He is dedicated. He's dedicated to his NFL career. And the next big step is not some, there's not a stepping stone out of the NFL. He has to stay in the NFL. The next big step is the next big contract. And he only gets that by being a dominant NFL quarterback. So if you draft him and he continues to keep worrying about himself, then he's also worrying about you. So it works in your benefit. Anyways, I'm done with that. Anyways, switching over to a topic that more likely pertains to the Green Bay Packers, although who knows who, uh, I mean, it pertain, what I was talking about pertains to the draft, which also pertains to what the Packers participate in, which is the draft. So if you're asking me, do I care if the guy we picked played in a bowl game? My answer is basically zero. Maybe there's some investigation into why, but it's a very simple answer because I wanted to go to the NFL and not risk my career. Okay perfect answer. We're good. Anyways, um, there was a report by Mr. Ian Rappaport about the Packers maybe heading toward um, a franchise tag. Um, It's something we haven't really explored because the assumption is that the Packers are going to be doing things that um, help us to save money next year. I think more people have talked about us losing Devontae Adams than uh, talking about this option of a franchise tag. And the reason is a franchise tag is extremely expensive. Now, it's probably less expensive on a per year basis than what he's looking for in a contract, which is why the, well, <laughs> I'm kind of kind of giving away the, the moral of the story here, but it's probably why the Packers are pushing this narrative, which is, I think, 100% what this is. It's the report by Ian Rappaport, I believe, is a threat from the Green Bay Packers. That's what I think is happening. I, I don't think there's really much doubt about that. But despite being less on a per year basis, it's still going to be more expensive because what the Packers would do on a long-term, even if, let's say, they paid him $25 million a year on average, they're not going to pay him anywhere near that in the first year. Let's say it's 17 16 15 $14 million in his first year. I don't know. If a franchise tag is $20 million, and I don't know, but I'm making it up, it's technically less than his per-year average, but it's a lot more in 2022 than it would be otherwise. And neither side really wants that because then if the Packers go to look at extending him, first of all, the per-year just went up unless his play declined. In which case, that's not necessarily a benefit for the Packers because you don't want his play to decline. So it's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, he's only cheaper because he's less valuable. What what they want to do is pay a very valuable player. But anyways, and it's obviously not desirable for Devontae because, you know, at some point your play will decline and you want to be able to maximize at your peak. And although I've been saying it for years, I don't think he can get any higher. He just continues to push that peak, although he's basically flatlined because there really isn't much higher that you can go looking at PFF grade or whatever whatever metric you want to look at. Even if you're playing better, which is amazing, there's, again, there's only so much better you, you can be. So both sides would love to get something done. And a franchise tag doesn't really work for anybody. But I think it's a bigger threat for Devontae Adams because at the end of the day, it's sort of a nuclear option for teams where they say, I don't want this. But I'd rather do this than let you leave. So we can tag you and then continue. In other words, that's us saying, sorry, you're not going anywhere. You, you've just been franchise tagged. So you can give up that dream. Now, the question is, 
do you want to play under this tag, risk, again, injury, which is why a lot of these guys sign it, because injury is, you know, again, kind of looking at what we talked about with you're risking millions of dollars, and even people with millions of dollars don't want to risk millions of dollars. Isn't that interesting? They've already had career. Devontae's already set for life, and they're going to squabble over a couple million dollars a year. I think Matt Corral has a right to <laughs> squabble over his first and potentially only contract. Anyways, now, it's entirely possible that this is a completely honest report from Ian Rappaport. He says, um, talks about how they broke off talks and everything, and then he says, all of which sets the stage for what several sources, big air quotes there, believe is an eventuality. The Packers give Adams the franchise tag following the season before attempting to work out a long-term deal. Based off Adams' current uh, salary situation, the franchise tag is expected to be $20 million. That was a good guess. Green Bay has a tight cap situation in 2022, and as it stands now, it would need to shed tens of millions of dollars in order to get under the cap. However, based on Adams' importance to the team, the cap situation should not prevent the Packers from keeping him, sources say. So, Look, again, maybe he just randomly decided to start asking people questions about Devontae Adams' salary cap, and he found some inside source that isn't with the Packers, which I don't know why a reliable source would be outside of the Packers, but maybe just talking to another GM, like Michael Lombardi or whatever, ex-GM, who says, well, it seems like they're headed toward, maybe that's all this is. More likely, though, the Green Bay Packers pushed this out. And we listen, we know how guys like Ian Rappaport and, and Schefter become insiders. They push out pieces like this. It's a give and take. Nobody just can just message people and be like, hey, I want information. They're like, all right, I guess I have to because you offer me nothing, so why wouldn't I? It's, a, it's all give and take. It's not just because Ian's a nice guy. It's not because Schefter's a nice guy. And they actually found, I think it was Schefter, when they were rooting through all of Washington's emails during all the scandals and all that, there was an email, I think, from Adam Schefter about a report he was going to write where he sent him basically a thing before it was released and said, what do you think? Is this okay? Let me know if you want any changes or whatever, right? That's how you get in the good graces of these teams. So if he wants scoops for the draft, which by the way, you never get scoops on the draft. It's all fake nonsense. But if you want it, because it doesn't matter if it's fake or not, if you want to be the guy, when the Packers come to you and they're like, hey, look, and maybe, I don't I don't know if it's like a direct, completely illicit relationship where it's like, listen, I got this piece I want you to, like, it's already written. You just put your name on it. Do it or else. Or if it's just, if it's a little bit more slick, you know what I mean? Like there's just a guy in each team that kind of just talks to Ian and, you know, Gutekunst or, or Murphy or whoever is like, look, we got to, we got to kind of put the heat on Devante a little bit prior to the upcoming negotiations or pot- potentially they're having some negotiations now with the agent. I don't know. But we want to give the impression that we're kind of pulling away from the table. In other words, the Packers are content. They're they're good. We're, we don't need to come back to the table. We'll just franchise you and then then you could figure out what you want to do. I'm not worried. In other words, our if you think you're going to do this to us because our back's up against the wall because of the cap, you're out of your mind. That's the perception they're putting out with it. So yeah, maybe they just got a guy that's like, hey man, uh, what's up Ian? Yeah, you know, the whole Devante thing. It's kind of crazy, but it's not a big deal. I mean, we'll just, if nothing else, we'll just franchise the guy, you know? And he just kind of slips that in there and walks away knowing Ian's going to just have this conversation and be like, oh, okay, yeah, well, anyways, have a good day. And he's freaking out and he runs to his computer and he's like, oh, I got to write this piece. I can't believe he just said that. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but I'm 95% sure this came from the Green Bay Packers because it puts them in a position of power. Now, I I also don't know how much this stuff matters because I can see it. I'm sure the agent knows this came from the team, so it shouldn't change anything. So I don't don't know. Maybe it's just such minor maneuvering. You know, same thing with like Rodgers and the team. You kept seeing these 
these pieces or these things that kept coming out that you assume either came from Rogers camp or from the Packers, whether it did or not, either way you look at it and go, does it really change anything? Does anybody actually really care? I don't know that it does. So bottom line, don't let that distract from anything. Don't read too much into that. It's not that it's not an option. It's of course it's an option. Teams use it. It is still the nuclear option. I'm just saying don't read too much into this in terms of, oh, great, the Packers are just going to use the franchise tag. What are we going to do? Or even from a positive standpoint, yay, they're going to use a franchise tag. That means we're not going to lose Devontae, depending on what you think of the tag, what you think of the cap, and what you think about the what you thought was going to happen with Devontae. This could be good or bad news. I don't know. Point is, nothing really changes. Just like when we heard all that stuff about the Packers walked away from the table from Aaron Jones and it's done, right? Done deal. It's not a done deal. You don't know what's going on. Anyways, looking at some of the other games today, um, noon games, Atlanta, Buffalo, doesn't really matter to pretty much anyone. Buffalo's technically not in the playoffs. The Falcons are technically not out of the playoffs, but I mean, you know, we'll see. If um, right now Buffalo is 99% to get into the playoffs and the Falcons are 3% to, to get into the playoffs, if the Falcons happen to win, that goes up to 17%. The Bills fall to 93 Still extremely likely that, um, you know, that they get in, especially since they have the Jets the next week, and it's really just win and you're in. So even if they, they would have to lose to the Falcons and the Jets to not get in. So I'm not going to say it's not a big game. And I think from a perception standpoint, as well as just from from my own personal um, assumptions, feelings, um, my biggest concern for the Bills, because again, this, this is the weird thing, and it was a point of contention for uh, me and Mr. Numbers, is they are the number one DVOA team. They are the number one point differential team. I think they're the number one DVOA. I, I, you know, maybe they're not. It doesn't matter. Point is, they're perceived to be a powerhouse based on their offensive and defensive dominance. The problem is, there's different ways to get a high point differential. I mean, in a general sense, it's your offense wins and your defense wins, right? High scoring, low scoring against. That's how you get the differential. But the Bills are 9-6, and six, which is not a good record. And I looked into it. It's, it's basically there's never been a team with as high of a point differential as the Bills have and as low of a record as the Bills have. I think that the Patriots are also in that boat of being like the number one and number two, which really just goes to show how crazy it is. But I'm not going to dismiss that. They're nearly a 500 team. And so there is some serious issues here where, yeah, you're dominant when you win, but you only win a, a kind of a small percentage of the time. Right? Not small percentage, but more than you lose. Small percentage higher. So I'm looking at this saying they're definitely going to get in. And they're definitely maybe the most scary team to play in the playoffs. But I'm not putting my money on the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl. Because winning the Super Bowl isn't about winning big. It's about winning consistently. And the Bills have proven they cannot do it. For whatever reason, they cannot win consistently. So they have to beat Atlanta and the Jets and prove that they're kind of out of this weird little thing where you lose 9-6 to six to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, that kind of stuff is what would shake the confidence of people who are betting on the Bills. And if you lose to either the Jets or the uh, Falcons, that's not a good look. So I'm going to assume the Bills win. Um, technically, that doesn't even—I was wrong. I said win and you're in. That's not true. If they beat the Jets, they're in. If they beat Atlanta, they're not 100% in. But it's— Greater than 99% chance, and the Falcons are officially out. After that, you got the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants. Both of these teams are officially eliminated. Uh, you got the four-win Giants against the five-win Bears. I don't know, man. I don't know who wins this game. I don't really care. 
I'm just going to pick a team just for the sake of seeing how it affects the playoff standings. I'm going to say the Bears win, but it doesn't really matter. As far as what I actually care about, do I, I want the Bears to lose. Um, generally, I'm a little bit concerned about draft position, and that is going to help their draft position. Just on the, you know, even a really bad GM has a higher chance of getting a star if you um, get a slightly higher position, which isn't great. But I think more importantly is them just being a bad and broken team. And so losing to the Giants just for, because some of these guys are staying. And I don't want there to be anything for Justin Fields to build off of or to build his confidence to say, you know what, I've got something here. If you lose to the four-win Giants, that hurts your confidence in a big way. Because at the end of the day, if Justin Fields is a star, he's going to beat the Giants. If Aaron Rodgers was on that team, they would beat the Giants. So let's see. As of right now, the Chicago Bears are six and a half point favorites. So it looks like Justin isn't even playing. So I mean, again, there's, there's nothing here. Andy Dalton's probably going to play. So in that case, I probably do want the Bears to win because it just further pushes my narrative of uh, wins without Justin Fields. Um, Chiefs-Bengals, I desperately, desperately want the Bengals to at least put up a fight. Um, Cincinnati's been kind of coming on pretty strong. Joe Burrow is via PFF the number one quarterback in football right now. They are a 9-6 and team. They're playing some great football. Um, but nobody's playing better than the Chiefs are right now. And so if there's any way for the Bengals to find a way to beat this team, I would be eternally grateful. Chiefs are already in, um, so it doesn't really matter to them. However, if they beat, if the Bengals beat the Chiefs, they're in. So they do have a lot to play for, and the Chiefs really don't. They, uh, well, I shouldn't say they don't. They're, they're trying to get that first round by. Um, and if they win, 91% chance that they get that by. Uh, the only real competition looks like is the Titans, and the Titans have been kind of falling apart um, for a while now, so not really a ton of competition there. So I will assume the Chiefs win, just because, again, I want to try to get a picture of, of how this potentially probably shakes out, but um, that would be pretty awesome if the Bengals could uh, could get in there and knock off the Chiefs. Kansas City, three-and-a-half-point favorite. So again, it goes to show how good Cincinnati is doing right now, that they're only three-and-a-half-point favorites. Miami and Tennessee obviously doesn't have big implications for us, but it does have big implications for those two teams. The Miami Dolphins, who uh, basically were eliminated by week like seven, now have a 31% chance of, of making the playoffs. They have been on an absolute dominant tear, and Tennessee has been in the opposite direction for quite a while now. Tennessee is three-point favorites. I'm going to say Miami wins the game, mostly because it's more interesting. Um, that puts them at 60 2% chance of getting into the playoffs. The Titans are at 94%. So um, if Miami can find a way to win this game, they not only um, aren't eliminated, which was the assumption early on, but they, for the first time, will be over 50% that they're going to be in the playoffs, which is just staggering to me. Um, Raiders-Colts, both of them are in the playoff hunt. Raiders have a 14% chance. Colts have a 97% chance. Um, Colts may as well be 100%. I mean, they got Jacksonville after the Raiders, so it's extremely unlikely. They would have to lose some games that they shouldn't be losing. Um, and if they beat the Raiders, they're 100% in. So obviously the Raiders are one of the teams that could potentially, in some weird, crazy scenario, knock them out. But uh, Colts, it's win and you're in. Um, and they are the, the better team. But if you look at their record, 9-6 and six and 8-7, and seven, um, it's not entirely impossible, but I'm going to go ahead and say the Colts continue their, their run here and, and win that game. No real implications for us. Jacksonville and New England, um, 
I mean, New England's going to win. They're 16 and a half point favorite. When they win, it makes them a lock to get in. Um, but either way, they've got, well, let's, what if something crazy happens and they lose to Jacksonville? And after that, they have Miami. If they lose to Miami, that drops their odds to 38, 37%. By the way, the Dolphins would 100% be in at that point. How crazy would that be? It seems almost impossible that the Patriots would lose this game, and it basically is. But if they find a way to lose this game, there's a chance they're not going to be in the playoffs because Miami has what it takes, I think, to be. I mean, I'm not saying Miami's better than New England because they're not, but they're on a seven-game win streak after going on a seven-game losing streak, which I don't know if that's ever happened before. They beat, and by the way, their uh, one win when they went 1-7 and seven was against the Patriots. They won 17-16. And they haven't really been, they've mostly played bad teams, but they beat Baltimore 22-10. to 10. I mean, the, the defense has been ridiculous. Since their win streak, 9-10-17-10-9-24, which was the Jets, which is weird, but their offense managed 31 points, um, and then three. This might be the best defense in football right now. I don't know what's happening over there in Miami. And again, they played the Jets, they played the Giants, they played the Panthers, they played the Jets again, um, they played Houston, they played the Saints, who are kind of down and out, but Saints scored three points. That's, that's despite the injuries and everything, that's still kind of crazy. But um, man, if there's any way for Jacksonville to pull up an upset, that would be fantastic. But either way, that, that Patriots-Miami game is going to be interesting. Uh, Tampa Bay and the Jets, darn it, that sucks. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay's just got the easiest road that they're I mean they're already they they not only are in the playoffs they won the division but they got the Jets in Carolina so I don't know it's stupid it's very annoying that um they have such an easy road there's really nothing there for us I mean the, the only thing to keep an eye on I guess is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did suffer several injuries so number one are they a slightly lesser team without all those players number two do they possibly lose more I'm not saying I'm rooting for it but it is the only thing that's interesting because, you know, Tampa Bay is not just a static thing. Tampa Bay is a pile of players, and some of those players aren't going to be there anymore. And if they lose a couple more, then obviously Tampa Bay is nowhere near Tampa Bay anymore. Philadelphia and Washington. Eagles have a 71% chance of making the playoffs. Washington has a 9% chance. If Washington goes on to win the game, they go up to 19%, and the Eagles fall to 42%. Um, so it's helpful, but not... I mean, it doesn't move the needle a ton. Washington's still very unlikely. However, they have the Giants the week after that. If they beat them, they're still going to need a decent amount of help. Um, but for example, the Eagles play Dallas the next week. So if they lose that game, they're done. And Washington goes to 55%. And there's a very good chance that the Eagles will lose to Dallas. So for Washington, it is actually pretty big. Because if they beat the Eagles, the Eagles are probably going to get eliminated by Dallas the next week. Unless Dallas rests their starters and whatever, which would be, that would suck for Washington. But I guess for that, if you look into next week, it's big for those reasons. Because Washington probably wins next week and the Eagles probably lose next week. And so for those reasons, if Washington wins, they have a very good chance of getting in. If they lose, they have very little chance of getting in. In fact, if they lose, I think they're they're just eliminated. So um, big for Washington and pretty big for the Eagles, despite my first sentence when I started talking about the game. With that said, the Eagles are also playing pretty good football right now, so I am going to pick them to win, but we'll see what happens when Washington's back is up against the wall. The Rams and the Baltimore Ravens, obviously we're rooting for Baltimore, despite the fact that Lamar probably isn't going to be playing in this game. Um, it's more of an interesting thing, um, because I do expect the Rams to win, but you never know. 
The Rams are already in, so they're not going to get eliminated from anything at all. The Ravens, though, 21% chance of making the playoffs. If they win, though, it goes up to 67%. And they've got Pittsburgh the next week, which is they've got a good shot against Pittsburgh as well. Um, and if they beat them, it goes up to 95%. So we'll see what happens with some of these other games. But, um, yeah, the, the Rams right now don't really have... I'm not going to say they don't have much to play for other than, I guess, winning the division is probably the most important thing. But they're really not very likely to get a first-round buy. They have a 0.6% chance. It goes up to 1% if Baltimore wins. So basically, the Packers would have to lose all their games. The The Bucks would have to lose all their games, and that's just never going to happen. So again, for the Rams, you're playing for pride in your division, basically. And so I'll pick them to win because I think they will. But really, this is just a, a very, very big game for the Baltimore Ravens. Because again, if, if they win, they got a real good shot at the playoffs. If they lose, they're done. Well, I guess technically not officially. They have a 0.2% chance of winning if they lose to the Ravens or the, the Rams. Denver and the Chargers personally couldn't care any less. However, 7-8 and eight Denver, 8-7 eight and seven Chargers. Feels like it's the 4-win Denver Broncos against the 10-win Chargers, but somehow it's 7-8 seven, eight, seven and eight against 8-7. Eight and seven. With that said, despite the only one game difference, the Broncos are officially already eliminated from the playoffs, and the Chargers have a 43% chance of getting in. If they lose this game, it drops to 6%. If they win, it goes up to uh, 63%. So basically, if they lose, their chances are very, very low. If they win, their chances are quite high. So it's a huge game for the Chargers. I'll pick them to win, but we'll see how it goes. Houston and San Francisco, I mean, it's it's only it only matters for San Francisco. Houston is just here to play spoiler. Obviously, they're not uh, really competing for anything. The 49ers right now, who are going through a rough patch, have a 68% chance of getting in. This is all via 538, by the way. These are not official numbers. These are their numbers, but, you know, they're good numbers. If they win, it goes up to 73%. If they lose, it drops to 51%. So you stay above 50%, or no, it's it's at 50. These numbers take a while to set. It's literally fluctuating between 50 and 51. Whatever, 50-ish percent. And so even if you look into next week, they can lose out against Houston and then the Rams next week, which, you know, obviously there's a good chance they lose. Um, they still have a 40% chance of getting in, which isn't terrible. So a lot of what they have is dependent on... Um, on other teams. However, it is still within their grasp. If they win out, they're in. If they beat Houston and the Rams, they're in. So they still have the destiny. Um, their fate is in their hand. But even if they don't, it kind of just comes down to what happens everywhere else. But I will assume the 49ers win that and Houston stays out of the playoffs. 49ers move to 2-7 and seven and have a 72% chance of getting in, which is the highest um, outside of the Eagles at 96% so far based on the wins and losses that I have here. Dallas and Arizona is the one that matters the absolute most for us. If we win, Dallas loses, we're, we're in. And by in, I mean, you know, uh, first round by is ours, secured, locked up. We've already said that it's very unlikely we lose this game. Dallas is a fairly heavy favorite at minus six and a half. You know, Dallas has been playing some good football. Arizona has been struggling. Dallas has won four in a row. They beat the Saints by 10, Washington by 7. They beat the Giants by 14 or 15, and then they just beat Washington 56 to 14, which is why everyone's especially freaked out about Dallas because of that massive blowout, which puts them pretty comfortably at the number one offense in football. Now, 
again, they're they're not number one because they're consistently dominant, which is, in my mind, important. It's because they have some games with 56, 33, 43, 35, 44, 41. That's what's pushed them to the number one spot. But the last three weeks, 21, 27, and 27 have not been the most impressive ever. So if they have a not as impressive game or, you know, like the Chiefs where they scored nine games or Denver where they scored 16 games or the Chargers where they scored 20 points, did I say 20 games or 16 games? Whatever, doesn't matter. You know what I meant. Then the odds sort sort of fall off for Dallas. Fortunately for Dallas, though, the defense has also stepped up recently, only allowing 17, 20, 16, and 14 in the last four weeks. So um, they're a fairly volatile team, but they tend to skew positive on both offense and defense. Uh, the Cardinals are on a three-game losing streak, losing to the Rams, the Lions, and the Colts. And it's their offense in particular that has been horrible. They scored 23, 12, and 16 points. 12 points against the Lions, 16 against the Colts, only 23 against the Rams. Their defense has allowed 30, 30, and 22 in those games. So they used to have the number one defense in football. That's fallen off. Their offense still ranks 10th, despite the fact that they haven't really done very much. I mean, they scored 33 against Chicago. Uh, before that, it was 31 against um, the 49ers, but it's been a lot of 21, 10, 23, 23, 12, and 16 otherwise in that same span. So they're uh, they're in a pretty steep downward spiral. Uh, even if they do win, which I hope they do, I hope they can dig deep and find a way to beat the Dallas Cowboys, maybe catch them off guard, which would be huge for us. But I mean, again, Dallas is playing great football and the Cardinals are playing terrible football. If we assume Dallas wins, not a whole lot um, actually changes. The Dallas Cowboys already won their division, so that's already been a done deal. Um, we still have a 92% chance. Dallas is the only team that is in competition, and it's 92% to 8%. Dallas has to beat Philly, which is not a guarantee, and we would have to lose to Detroit. Now, the only, well, and it, it, yeah, I was going to say the only concern would be is if we rest starters, but if we don't have the first round by locked up, we're not going to be resting starters, so... Uh, basically it would come down to Cowboys have to win out. We would have to lose one of these next two games, which is not impossible. I mean, the, the Cowboys probably will win out. Can we win out is, is the next question, but, um, it, we're, we're definitely in a position where we should win. We're being essentially handed a first round by, we just got to step up and get it. By the way, at the conclusion of this, um, assuming the Dallas, and we, there's a couple, let's finish it. Let's finish it so we can get the, the correct numbers. Um, Minnesota and Green Bay, I already picked that we've talked about it a lot. I already picked Green Bay to win. This says minus 12 via PFF, but it has us much higher elsewhere. That must be their numbers. They always tend to skew a little worse for the Packers than than Vegas does. Maybe they just skew toward lesser lines. I don't know. Um, then finally, you got Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Did I just skip a bunch of games? Where are all these games? I did. I skipped. Uh, I skipped a bunch. Anyways, Carolina and New Orleans. New Orleans Saints are seven-point favorites, but who knows what's going to happen with that. The Saints right now have a 30% chance of uh, getting into the playoffs. The Panthers are already eliminated. Um, I'm just going to assume the Saints win. That still only bumps them up a little bit to 38%. If they lose, they're out. So it's a pretty big game for the Saints. Um, They could potentially be eliminated from playoff contention probably for the first time in quite a while this week. Um, Again, for our sake, I mean, the only good thing about that is uh, there's that whole curse of losing to that team that blew us out. That's done. So we can just be done with that this week, and I think I would be in favor of that. Not that I'm necessarily scared of the Saints in their current state. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to. I'll take whatever little superstition is potentially there and just make it go away. I don't want to deal with that. Detroit and Seattle. 
I mean, I'd love for Detroit to lose for the same reason as the Bears. I don't want them to start, you know, as much as it's nice to see them kind of finding something here, um, you know, good for you guys. I, I don't want them to be competitors. I don't want them, you know, as the Bears and Minnesota Vikings head for tear down and rebuild territory. I don't want the the Lions to hit on a couple picks and suddenly become contenders and become a 10-win team and whatever else comes with that. Both teams are already eliminated, so it doesn't matter. So I'm going to say the Lions lose. I'm going to hope they lose and nothing really changes there. But now we come to Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a 14% chance of getting in the Browns 26%. Um, so they're both playing for their playoff lives. Um, basically, whichever team loses is eliminated. So uh, the Steelers only have a 26% chance of getting in. So it's not like it's massively improves their odds, but, um, either way, whoever loses is, is done for the season. So it's pretty big stakes. I'm going to say the Browns win, but they're kind of, well, they're both struggling teams. Obviously that's why they're in the position that they're in. Anyways, as it stands now with all the wins and losses that I just described, which are basically just picking all the favorites, um, the, Green Bay Packers are 92% to get a first round bye and 23% to win the Super Bowl. One in four is pretty serious odds. The higher odds go to the Kansas City Chiefs at 31%, which is pretty, quite a bit higher. I'm sure if we lock up the first round, let me try that. If we do lock up the first round bye, it doesn't actually move it that much. It's 31 to 24. So they don't even, I guess, care about that all that much. Anyways, um, the next highest NFC odds to win the Super Bowl, which obviously shows how much higher odds the Packers have of getting to the Super Bowl, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 8% and the Rams at 8% and the Cowboys at 8% is basically it. So it shows you how much higher up. And it's not because of the first round buy necessarily. It's just how much higher up. Now, I guess I shouldn't say that. It might be built into why it's so much better. But the Cowboys are not higher than anybody else. Point is, man, it feels good to see 24%. I'll take a one in four shot of winning the Super Bowl. But with that, I do have to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow for Victory Monday. Have a good one. Bye-bye.